Hey y'all, this is Ledge, and before we get to this episode, I want to tell you a quick story. I remember when we were contacted by one of the top video fitness apps in the United States, and they were doing a total rebuild, and they wanted to do that with our engineers. So we set that up, and we've been at it for two years with 10 different team members in every possible skill set from design to product management to scrum master to development. And it's been a really exciting journey where we are completely in charge of staffing that entire team for them. That's not a common scenario, but it just gives you an idea of the reach that we can bring to the table, you know, time and time again for mobile apps and for web apps and for design. And I think that's really one of the strengths of the huge bench of talent that we bring to the table. Now for our episode. This is the Frontier Podcast powered by Gun.io, the engineer's choice for engineering talent. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter at The Frontier Pod. Alex, great to have you on, man. Thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Pleasure to be here. So if you don't mind, would you give a two or three minute you know, introduction of, of yourself and your work you know, so the audience can get to know you a little bit? Sure, sure. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Experial. We're a tech company here in Silicon Valley. Uh, my, my brother is actually my co-founder. Uh, we built a previous startup together that was called Walletto, and that was the first digital wallet and tap and pay on a smartphone that was acquired by Google. That became Google Wallet. So we actually started that, that company right out of grad school. We completed our, our PhDs in computer science up at the University of Toronto, so if you're detecting a Canadian accent, that's, that explains it. Uh, and we never made use of that PhD research at all in the wallet, but it forms the core technology in what we've built here at Experial. So the previous acquisition brought us down from Canada to Silicon Valley. Uh, we spent some time at Google there, and, and now we're building the next one. And you know, first and foremost, I would consider ourselves to be uh, uh, inventors. Uh, and that's what is exciting to us. That's what gets us up out of bed in the morning. And in particular, we're not interested in sort of just making incremental improvements. What, what attracts us is making big quantum leaps. So we're particularly attracted in building powerful new technology. And, and that's really what Experial is, is all about. So that's uh, that's my background. Wow, there's a lot, lot to go with there. Uh, very cool. You know, so um We'll skip the skip, skip the story of the acquisition of your original startup, which everyone wants to do. You know that's amazing. Uh, but you know, let, let's jump into the inventor thing and you know uh, big problems. And so, a what is what is the current technology and the the big leap that that you're making? Yeah. And, and then B after that, you know, kind of wondering where as as you do that, uh, and you know, so the big big splash inventions don't happen every day. So how do you keep feeding? you know, that need to invent as your identity. Yeah, sure. So, so Experial is really aimed at the next big platform shift. So it's a particularly ambitious startup, right? So if you think about human civilization, we keep going through big platform shifts. So first there was print and then there was radio and then there was television. And then eventually the PC was invented. And that was the next, that was sort of the big first uh, consumer technology platform. And then came the web and then the social revolution happened and then, and most recently mobile. Uh, and every time one of these big platform shifts happens, it kind of upsets the whole Apple cart, right? So in, in one paradigm, someone becomes king. So in the pre PC era, for instance, 
IBM was the king, right? It was the only tech giant on the planet Earth. And then the PC happened and that allowed them to be disrupted. And then a company, you know, that we've all heard of called Microsoft came along and that allowed them to become king. And, and that this happens, you know, every, every few decades and it's starting to accelerate too. Um, and so we can all see this next big platform shift coming on the horizon towards these immersive technologies. So augmented reality, virtual reality, internet of things, uh, machine learning, all of these technologies are starting to converge. And on the horizon, we can see this coming. And we call this the real world web because it's gonna make the physical world much more digitally interactive. And we see this as being the biggest opportunity in high tech because it's still totally up for grabs. Nobody has conquered or mastered this technology yet. Okay, so so that kind of just sets the stage. That's where Experial comes in. That's the goal and that's the aim of our company is to look forward and to invent the foundational technologies underpinning this next platform shift. So we've, as, as inventors, that's where we kind of put on our, our creative hats and we, we figure out, you know, what are some of the necessary components what is this platform going to need? And that's that's been 100% of our goal here is Experial has been, has been aiming at inventing and patenting and productizing and launching this core found, foundational technology, everything from the operating system layer to the event bus, uh, to the business models, the privacy and security models, uh, the advertising models. We've built all of that. And so the, the aim here is just to leapfrog years ahead and own this build fund fundamental technology for owning this next platform shift before anyone else even kind of realizes what's going on and, and, and gets there. So like I said, big ambitious startup, uh, but that that's where we're aiming. Sure. Yeah. It strikes me as sort of, you know, be the, be the Qualcomm more than the Apple, um, you know, it's sort of the foundational yeah. things necessary for everybody else to build on. So like, even even exactly. lower even lower level of abstraction than than platform you know you're really talking about the foundation yeah and it's it's all software so we're not building any hardware so usually you know the story is that hardware is far ahead of software and software is actually the hard complicated part that people are bad at and so everything that we've been focusing on is sort of the software layer and the tools don't even really exist. So when we started this adventure, we quickly realized, oh, well, the tools were made for the previous platform shifts. They weren't designed for the Internet of Things. They weren't designed for a multi-device, heterogeneous device world. They, don't, they weren't designed with augmented reality in mind. So we quickly realized that we had to create those tools, and, and that's what we did. So we, it's, it's sort of like the, the HTML for the Internet of Things, right? There, there is no, there is no worldwide web sure. for the Internet of Things. So we, we, we've created that, and we've created the tools and the HTML for this, for this coming world. Right. So you're, you're talking about the protocols, the SDKs, like all the ways of thinking about stuff that don't yeah. jam well into existing protocols. Yeah. You know, we're, we're going to run out of IP addresses. We're not going to be able to build the stuff that we need. We can't carry that much data. Uh, yeah. We do with it when we do. Exactly. And, and the, in, in many cases, you know, you have to be, when you're a small startup, you, you're all, you never have enough resources. So you have to be very wise and, you know, pick your battles and whenever possible, 
we try to ride the existing rails and the existing protocols. So, you know, so for instance, the internet of things, it's all connected to the same network as the traditional internet. It's all TCP, IP, and all these traditional protocols. So we're not here to change any of that. Like that's fine. That's the network exists. That's, that's great. What we're doing is a layer above that. Uh, the, the, it's the analogy here, I think is, uh, to compare it with a World Wide web, you know, the, the World Wide web is like an application layer on top of the traditional internet. And then you build apps on top of that application layer, and we call those apps web pages, right? And we are doing the analog of that for this next platform shift. So we've created the real world web to be an application layer on top of the internet of things. Uh, and it's a much, much more difficult problem, right? Because if you think about what Tim Berners-Lee did with the, with the World Wide Web uh, several decades ago now, he was working with a homogeneous set of hardware. It was all desktop computers. Um, and then he very wisely went and he created the right development tools and language for that. Like he could have written everything. He could have written web pages in C++. And if he had done that, none of this ever would have got off the ground. And he very wisely chose to build a, a much more user-friendly, much more streamlined uh, language HTML dedicated to the task for which it was it was supposed to be designed. Uh, and that's exactly what we've done. We've created our platform and our a new an entirely new programming language. Uh, and this, you know, we can, we can also get into that. So that's a that's a whole whole, whole separate conversation that'll be interesting. But that's sort of the framework that we're working in. Yeah, and we're. You just kind of tipped off in my brain, you know, I, I kind of wonder what's the what's the Venn diagram look like or how do you experience between inventor and futurist? Um, you know, there is there's certainly a gray area between the two. So I think that the difference is in terms of sort of how, how active you're being about it. And the there, there's a quote that jumps to mind from from Alan Kay. So he's this famous Xerox Park a computer scientist, and he says the, the the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And I think maybe the difference between a futurist and an inventor is when play, that that quote kind of sums it up is to kind of play a more active role. And it's really really hard to predict what the future is going to hold. Like that's that's anyone's guess, and no one has a good crystal ball for this. And everyone who makes predictions in the future is going to be mostly wrong, right? And even and the further out they go, the, the more wrong they're going to be. But if you're actually playing an active role in inventing that future, then you get to be part of the conversation. And you get to help direct what, what's going to happen. And, you know, that, that's, that's, again, you know, part of, part of what gets us up out of bed in the morning is, is being part of that and, and, how, and, and, and helping to guide things. How do you differentiate as, a, as an inventor sort of setting the new standards, you know, kind of, if you will, then you, then you run into the absolute hardest of distribution problems is the re-education of the entire planet yeah. on a limited marketing budget. You know, how do you, how do you conceptualize that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, so, so it's, I think it's hard for anybody to set new standards, even if you have massive resources and it's particularly hard for a startup like ours, like we're, we're tiny, we don't have the resources of a Google or a Microsoft or an Apple or an Amazon. And so, you know, part of the answer is, is a little bit of what I, what I already mentioned, where to whatever extent possible, we want to ride the existing rails and the protocol. So if those are good enough, let's not reinvent the wheel. Um, and then in, in terms of, you know, where we are deviating and, and so trailblazing, I think what you want to do is sort of tap into this principle 
that the customer always wins, right? And it doesn't really matter who, which tech companies are competing. It doesn't matter what their technologies are and so on. At the end of the day, it's the market and it's all the customers out there that decide who the winner is. And so if you kind of keep that in mind, and if you build for the customer and you, you, you solve the customer's problem, and you use friction for them, then that gives you sort of the best shot of your solution winning and your protocols and your, your, your sort of new, new way of thinking uh, becoming the de facto standard. Uh, and that's the, so that's the strategy that we've been, been following is to democratize technology, to, to, to reduce friction and, and to solve customer problems. And uh, in this case, how do you define the customer? Then, when you're a you know you're a low level platform developer with a totally new sort of thinking and paradigm about the world, then uh, are these going to be you know OEMs and they're going to be uh, video game companies and, and who knows, right? You yeah. know, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of ground to cover just there. Sure. So you know, ultimately, our customers are going to be the developers. Who are who are who want to build software for this coming platform shift for this coming real world web, and and, and this is our core technology, and it, this is where we've sort of applied our, our our PhD research, is we've invented a new programming language called Pebbles, and Pebbles is designed to be the most user friendly programming language in history, and it's tailor made, it's built from the ground up with these tomorrow's use cases, the IoT and the AR use cases in mind, right? So right now, if you want to build a multi-device application that uses your, you know, connects your Nest thermostat with all the other hardware in your home and so on, that's really hard to do. Like the, the, the languages, the tools just don't exist for doing that easy. You can do it, but it's it's cumbersome. It wasn't it wasn't built, the tools were built. Or you need a third-party API integrator of sorts. Right. But you can't do it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so what, what we did, built here with Pebbles is a language that's, that's just, that's what it does. That's sort of the, the first order variable that we're, we're concerned about is building AR content, connecting IoT devices, uh, and reducing that friction. So the strategy here is one of making a programming language that's so user-friendly that anyone can use it. And, and the way we did that is we, we made the language, it's, it's radically different. So when you look at this, this programming language, it, it doesn't have a grammar, it doesn't have a syntax, you don't write your code, you draw your code. So this is a programming language that's designed for designers. It's designed for marketers and product managers and, and regular people who are smart, but don't necessarily come from a technical background. So the idea here is to radically increase the number of people who are empowered to build. Right. So right now, it's only a very small fraction of the population that can write software. Uh, and what we want to do is expand that radically and, and, and democratize and empower everyone to do that. And it doesn't even it doesn't even feel really like you're programming. It feels more like you're drawing a flow chart or something like that. So it, it's just much more accessible. And uh, it's it almost like it's almost like it's using a different part of the brain. It's less that analytical and logical part of the brain that makes programming in, a, in C++ or Java so difficult for most people. And instead, we're more using almost like a visual and spatial part of the brain uh, that, that, that makes this much more, much more approachable. And so that, that's been the strategy here is to empower people, really. And uh, it reminds me a little bit, I've talked to a lot of, companies exploring around the edges of, you know, sort of the no code type yeah. of, of revolution. Have you, 
have you drawn on that and, and thought about well, that? Well, yes and no. So, you know, this is this is a type of no code in that there you're not typing code. There's no if-then statements or while loops or anything like that. Um, but the, the downside of a lot of these has always been that you have to make a trade-off and you have to sacrifice power, right? And so, you know... Uh, th- th- the real like real pros when they're when they want to build uh, something powerful, they don't want to cut any corners in terms of like the powers and the tools that they have. So what we've built here has the best of both worlds. It's both very accessible and it's very easy to learn and use, but uh, it doesn't sacrifice any power whatsoever. So anything you can program in Java or C++, you can program here only much more easily. And it's much better at these futuristic use cases and building the software of the future than, than these old programming languages are. Uh, so you're definitely thinking in the right direction there, but we didn't want to sacri- We didn't want to make that trade-off. And no one does. Corners, that, that's what you must have made some trade-offs. Anytime we reduce complexity, we have unintended consequences. What what trade-offs did you acknowledge and accept, you know, on the journey? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, certainly this, this isn't, every type of programming languages, language has its strengths and its weaknesses, right? So, you know, you probably, if you were trying to build a spreadsheet program like Microsoft Excel, you probably wouldn't use Pebbles. You know, that's not its strike zone. It has, it's, 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 it's aimed at a different target than that. Um, but there, the, there, in terms of the actual expressive completeness and power of the language, there we didn't make any trade-offs because, and it's there. I have to, you know, maybe get into my the, the PhD research a little bit. It's all based on uh, this pebbling research from from our PhDs, and it's pebbling is an interesting sort of freak of nature. And uh, most people don't have never heard of this, nor should they have. There's like you know twenty egghead academics on the planet. Uh, that care about this. And it was a very ivory tower topic. We never actually thought that our research was going to be useful for anything practical in the real world, but what we found a use for it. So what makes pebbling special is that it's a board game, actually. It's a, it's a board game that is a single player board game that's so easy to learn that even a child can understand it. Like you can give this game to a six-year-old and they'll be able to understand it. And at the same time, as a, it's a model of computation. It's expressively complete. So you can, you can encode any computation using it. And that's where we had, I think, our, our, our key insight is that we realized that we could build a programming language based on this that was so easy to understand that even children could do it, but which was also expressively complete and could you could, you could encode and, and program any type of computation you wanted to. And then, you know, it took us a long time to kind of take that idea and turn it into reality. Uh, but, but that's, that's the basis of it. So I, I, I'm the first to admit that this is certainly aimed at a certain target and that if you're building other, certain other things, you would choose other programming languages. But the, the, we, we're tapping into the sort of the freak of nature there of, of pebbling that it's simultaneously powerful uh, as well uh, as easy to learn. So, yeah, talk about that. I mean, where, where'd that come from? You know, that the, what's the, the genesis then of, of such a thing? What, what does that arise from? Yeah, there, there, I think there, it, here it's, it, there wasn't really an aha moment. There was probably a series of aha moments that we had uh, between my brother and myself. And I, I remember one of them coming in grad school. I remember he, uh, he was working 
uh, on the weekend or in the evening or something like that with, uh, with his PhD supervisor. And he was over at her house and she had young children and they were doing these, drawing these pebbling diagrams. And one of her kids, and I, I can't, I don't, I don't remember exactly how old they were, but they were around like six or seven years old, something like that. They came over and were like, oh yeah, mommy, what are you, what are you doing there? And then they just, you know, they took an aside from the research that they were doing and they, they explained these, these pebbling games to the kids. And then they, and then my brother Philip was, was surprised that, uh, that, that, that they could do this, right? That, that, uh, that a six-year-old had no problems, you know, moving the pebbles around and, and figuring out how the game worked and so on. So I think that was maybe one of the early insights that, that we had that, oh, well, pebbling is a game and it's fun and it's, that makes it very accessible. Uh, and that's, that's kind of the user-friendliness aspect of it. And then under the hood, there's all this just raw power. And, and that was the insight, I think, early on that, that helped us realize that there's no trade-off necessarily here. And, and usually there is a trade-off. Usually when you're doing something very powerful, you know, like you know, rocket science or nuclear fusion or something like that, you need, to, you need to know a lot. You need a lot of expertise. You need to study for a decade before you become really, really proficient at this. And here we saw an opportunity. Uh, through that, that, that you didn't have that trade-off. What do you do with an opportunity that big when you finally can conceptualize it? Uh, you know, I'm reminded of the, there's a, you know, the brain teaser, right? You know, if you cured cancer in your garage and you actually did, what do you do next? You know, because yeah. nobody's going to believe you and there's no paradigm by which to grok that because it's so outlandish that someone yeah. could do such a thing. Yeah. Well, so what, you know, what we, what we did is we, we, as, as the idea, you know, none of this happened in one day, right? It happened this overnight. Kind of I know it did. Over Everybody's successful overnight, right? Yeah. Right. And so what, what really the, the thought process was, well, okay, we've, we think we've got something extremely powerful here. Okay. So, so what are we going to do with that? And, and then, you know, how far could we push it? And, you know, if you if you have an if you have a nuclear aircraft carrier, you don't just use it as a tugboat, right? And so we thought, well, we could do this or we could do that, and we thought, well, actually, that's kind of selling the vision short. We think it's more powerful than that. So we just kind of kept on getting bigger and bigger until we thought, well, what what's the maximum thing that it could do? And then we thought, well, there's this whole big platform shift coming, you know, in the next decade with augmented reality and Internet of Things and so on. What if we could use this and this could become the HTML for this new world. And then we realized, yeah, that's actually not unreasonable. That's not unrealistic. This, it, it's powerful enough to pull that off. And, uh, and so that's, that, that, that was kind of the vision started. And that's, uh, you know, it kind of started by when talking to you here, talking about how ambitious the startup is. So, you know, it obviously is very ambitious, but we think we have the technology to, to back up that dream. So uh, you're talking to, you know, I don't know, 20,000 developers right now. Uh, no doubt many of them whom are going to, you know, push stop soon and, and go try to get your SDK or, or whatever, you know, how do, how do people get involved and start to play with this? Are you at that stage? Yeah, we're, we're not quite at that stage yet. So right now we've been using our, our Pebbles programming language internally. So we have a, a team that's been using it to build professional products for NFL teams and NBA teams and, and, and so on. Uh, and so it's not quite ready for prime time externally yet. And that's mostly a function of, you know, we just haven't had the resources and the time yet to make it nice 
and to make it self-serve. So if we, you know, as, as, as user-friendly as it is, if we were to launch it tomorrow and people were to pick it up, they'd still be lost because there's no instruction manual to it, essentially. So, so that, that, all of that still needs to be built. Uh, the hard parts have been built and, and, and kind of been proven, right? So we, our, our team has been building really cool experiences and with, with these sports teams and so on. So, so we've convinced ourselves that it works. Uh, and then the, so the next phase of the company will be aimed at perfecting the platform, making it user-friendly, adding the tutorials and the templates, and then unleashing it to the world and letting everybody out there use it. And, uh, and so I think that the tech enthusiasts will probably be the first ones to pick it up as a, even just a, as a curiosity, right? And your, your listeners might be interested enough to, to go and look at it once it's ready. Uh, but then the, the real goal here, though, is to, to go beyond the traditional tech enthusiasts and to democratize programming for everybody. So all, every creative agency, every you know, teenager hacking away in his parents' basement, we, we want to empower all of them to, to become builders. Well, I, I, all I can say is I wish good luck because, you know, all the you wisely know that, you know, adoption is the is the hardest hurdle, you know, discovery yeah. followed by, you know, retention and adoption. So, yeah. And, 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 and if, to any of your listeners out there who really are interested in, 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 in seeing more of this or maybe participating in building it, you know, we're always looking for great talent. And uh, and so that we've we're, we're always hiring. And so, yeah, send, send us your resumes. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. All right. So we got to wrap up. I got the lightning round for you. You ready? I'm not sure I'm ready, but we're going to do it All anyways. Right. This is, this is, this is critical. Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm not against Star Trek. I like Star Trek, but I'm definitely on the Star Wars side Very of things. PhD answer of you. Yeah. You're also running for office. Um, it's just a little more, it's just a little grittier and it's a little more realistic. I, I'm not sure that the future is going to be the utopian future that Gene Roddenberry, uh, first of all. Now, again, I, I like Star Trek. I love watching Star Trek. I watch all the shows, but um, end of the day, Star Wars. I love the academics that answer these questions. This is, this is always good. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm going to bore you with this answer, but it's really just a bunch of business handbooks. So, you know, as I didn't have the benefit of going to business school, I don't have an MBA. And yet here I am as the CEO of a startup. And so there's just this stuff I, I didn't learn in school. And I've picked up a lot of that on the fly. Uh, but I'm, I'm reading a book right now called The High Growth Handbook. So that's, a, I'm sorry, it's a boring answer, but uh, that's the truth. There's a lot of that, you know, in the developer community. I mean, you can't do everything right. And in, in the way that our disciplines are, have been mixed, you know, that I, I went from development to business and then, you know, don't want to lose the other direction. And that, that's what, you know, this avenue has been great for me to be able to just stay up on the, on the cusp of that. So I totally resonate. And uh, I would have to go back to the beginning programming manuals and yeah. <laughs> white papers at this point. So, what can't you live without? Well, um, the answer, again, this is the truth. I don't want it to be, but it's, it's probably my smartphone. And I, I, I'm certainly guilty of spending far more time on my smartphone than I, than I should. And it's kind of what connects me to everything. And it, it's such a convenience that I, I, I probably spend much more time looking down. People probably see the top of my head far more than they do my, my face when I'm, when I'm walking anywhere. So um, that, that's probably the one. If you took away my smart, smartphone uh, or my laptop, for that matter, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Absolutely. I think a lot of us are in that place now for better or worse. Right. Um, what's the last thing you Googled for work? 
Uh, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. So I'm, I, I often search on, on LinkedIn and I search on Google for business contacts. So we have a lot of business meetings and biz dev meetings and, and so on. So just doing my homework on the, the folks that I'm going to be meeting tomorrow, uh, that kind of thing. So that's what I'm using. So somebody's name. Yeah, I would, I would probably say the same thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know if you're an Office fan, The Office, but there's a classic episode of The Office where Jim is messing with Dwight. You may know Dwight is the sort of office heel and everybody picks on Dwight. Um, he's sending him faxes from the future to from future Dwight and they pop out of the fax machine. And so it got me thinking, and I like to ask people, if I give you one sheet of paper and a Sharpie, what would right now future Alex be faxing back to past Alex? Um, I mean, I would be sending back all sorts of tips on how to avoid mistakes and pitfalls. Uh, how, how far back am I going? Am I going all the way back to childhood or am I just going back, you know, five years and giving myself tips on how, how about, how about 10 years? And remember it's a Sharpie and a paper. You yeah. I mean, I would be giving myself tips on how to avoid all sorts of pitfalls as you're building a company, you make mistakes. You make mistakes all the time. You know, no matter how smart you think you are, the, the world is a complicated place and it's a complicated landscape. And even building our technology, right? We're, we're building something very complicated. And there are many places where, you know, we, we, we fell into a trap and then we had to take the code and throw it away and start again. So it would be, it would be easy for me to sort of send myself all sorts of tips. Oh, yeah, yeah, don't try that. That's not going to work. Do this instead. Uh, and, you know, and there's a hundred examples of this. So I would probably have to triage and because I've got a Sharpie and you can't write very finely on a piece of paper, I'd have to triage and choose the top 15 of them or something like that. <laughs> well, we'll have to, we'll have to get yeah, you tell, you tell me when you've got that magical fax machine, that'll, that, you know, there's a startup idea for you. If you've got, right. Well, you know, I just keep, I keep waiting for the guest that says, what's a fax machine, but you know, so. so right. You yeah, know, it reminds me of a, of, of the joke when people ask you to send a fax and you just say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I can't send you a fax because of where I live. And then they say, well, where do you live? You know, the 21st century. <laughs> and they say, well, if you want healthcare. Right. Then- <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, Alex, always enjoyable I, I love the big thoughts man this this is gonna be super cool to watch so we're gonna be fans and we're gonna we're gonna stay on board so um we'll keep paying attention and and good luck with the broad vision yeah thank you no and again thanks for having me on the podcast it's been a pleasure thanks for listening to the frontier podcast produced by gun.io we're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers if you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us Head over to gun.io slash podcast to get in touch and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast produced by gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io and get in touch. Let us know you heard the podcast and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.